It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarda, and this is a place to get all franchise information that you need, how to buy a franchise, how to sell a franchise, even how to turn your business into a franchise. So welcome. If you hadn't got a chance, get over to thefranchiseacademy.com. I have a new course, an online course on how to buy a franchise, the A to Z's of franchising. So check that out and also check out my book, Franchise Savvy, which is the um, mistakes I've made in franchising and also a lot of the wins I've made. So there's a lot to learn in that book. I'm excited today because I have Steve Jackson with me, who is the CEO of Hungry Howie's Pizza out of um, Steve, where are you guys based? We're based out of Madison Heights, Michigan. Madison Heights, Michigan. So Hungry Howie's is pizza that I eat when I'm uh, down in Florida often. And um, Steve has a great story. I want to bring Steve in because he's a 50-year veteran in franchising, almost 50 years. What's really cool is that Steve started as a delivery boy for Hungry Howie's before it was really Hungry Howie's back when he was a kid. And now he's a CEO of 550 stores across 21 states. And they are on a rocket ship to expand right now. So I want to talk a little bit about lessons learned, some things that he's seen over the past years, let alone the past year of COVID and, and other um, interesting uh, learnings in franchising that Steve brings with his experience. So Steve, welcome to the Franchise Academy. Hi, Tom. Hey, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's uh, always interesting to talk to people in the same franchise business because there's so many stories out there and, and so many success stories that uh, it's nice to share everything. Yeah, no, this is so great. And that's, you know, you hit on a, a great point to start is that franchising is such, it's a small community in a large, you know, nationals, international base, but there's such sharing that goes on. And that's one thing that I took away early on as a franchisee is that everyone is building equity in these brands. And when the tide rises, all the ships float. So people often, you know, talk with their competitors about best practices. Everybody wants everybody to succeed in franchising. So that's a great point. <laughs> I love that. Um, so okay. the um, it's 1973, is that when you started with Hungry Howie's? Well, I'll be even back it up a couple of years before that. Okay. Uh, Jim Hearn actually was a franchisee of a small little pizza chain called Dino's Pizza in the Detroit area in the late 60s. Now, also at that same time, Dino's opened their first store within the same time frame that Domino's and Little Caesars opened, all within 25 miles of each other in the Detroit area, with Domino's being in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan. So Jim owned the Dino's Pizza that was three blocks from where I grew up. So I delivered pizzas for him there. Okay. Now, my, my buddies and I at 17... We're working for Jim. Jim was about 12 years older than we were. He was our hero, our mentor. He had two businesses, actually three businesses, because he had a little hamburger stand a few miles away too. And uh, we looked at him. We grew up in thousand square foot blue collar community homes. And Jim has, was just building a brand new 1800 square foot house out in a growing suburb. And he had two new cars. 
So we looked at Jim and we nicknamed him Howie back then because we thought he was our Howard Hughes. Oh, how interesting. Many people on this podcast might even not remember the name Howard Hughes. Right. <laughs> okay. But he was one of the richest men in the world back in the 50s and 60s. Okay. So that said, we, we, we worked. I, my goal was to go to college and be a, a school teacher. So I went and commuted to school uh, out in Ypsilanti, actually. And uh, I still kept in touch with Jim. He ended up selling the, the, the Dino's Pizza places because he didn't really like the way that that company was moving forward. So he ran this hamburger stand he had in Taylor, Michigan. So I was going to college. I worked at Ford on the line building cars. That's, you know, how I put myself through college. Still talk to Jim every couple of weeks or whatever. And in late 72, early 73, he says, you know what? I'm going back in the pizza business. He said, I'm going to take this hamburger stand on the roof and boost out, put a set of pizza ovens in there. And I'm going back in the business. He goes, I need to come up with a name. So on Eastern Michigan University's campus, where I was going to school, the most happening restaurant bar on campus was called Hungry Charlie's, which was about two blocks from where Tom Monahan opened the first Domino's. So we're sitting there talking, and I'm thinking, Hungry Charlie's, that's a cool place. Howie's his name. Why don't you call it Hungry Howie's? And he did. That's where the name came from. Oh, that's so he opened that first store in February of 1973. I'm still going to school. 75 married my high school sweetheart that we met at uh, 16 years old and her family, many of the family members were in education. Mm-hmm. Her father was a school principal for 25 years. And they looked at me and said, don't go into education. What I made it forward on the line, if I got a job teaching at that same time, I would make half of what I made. I made 15,000 at Ford starting salary for your teacher was $8,700. So, and there were no jobs available. So I'm still talking to Jim and uh, to make a long story short, we came up with the idea of me quitting college, going into my senior year and quitting Ford Motor Company, which was a job for life back in the seventies. And I opened up Hungry Howie's number two. Mm-hmm. My parents and my in-laws kind of thought it was a little goofy at the time, but uh, that's how it started. And uh, opened up the second store about five or six miles from where Jim's store was. Yeah. Uh, in the middle to late, or in the late 70s, we opened about a dozen locations with friends and relatives. Best man in my wedding opened a store. Maid of Honor's husband in my wedding opened a store. A guy that I worked with at Ford quit, opened a store. Jim's brother opened a store. So we got to the point. And around 1980, I said to Jim, you know, I've been reading a lot about this. We should franchise this business. And he said, you know, I had a bad experience with that previous pizza chain. I don't really want to do it. He was a pretty simple guy. Well, I harassed him enough and finally drug him to an attorney's office. And we went started going through the process of franchise. His goal was to move to Florida. So in 81 or 82, he moved to Florida. He put together the franchise and he says, I'll develop the state of Florida and you take care of everything else. And that's how it, that's how it started. And uh, we've kind of managed a conservative growth philosophy for all these years. Uh, in 1986, we had the opportunity because of a person that was in the food business came to us 
and we opened our first distribution center in 1986 in the Detroit area. Believe it or not, we shipped semis weekly to Florida with food and paper products back in the 70s from from Detroit. Sure. So the the story of of the startup is a lot like you hear from a lot of franchises where the founder starts with, you know, some relatives and it's, it's very informal and then they begin to franchise later on. So that's an interesting story, but that was, you know, many years ago, 40 years ago or so now it's 2021. What do you want to take the company now? What are you thinking in regard to growth? Well, we've been through a lot. I mean, when you think through the decades, as you said, you start off mom and pop. And uh, and then, you you know, when we decided to franchise, we had to come up with a training program. I mean, we didn't deal with food costs, labor costs, none of that at the time. We were all running individual stores and we knew if we had too many bodies there to let people off. <laughs> so we had to develop that training program, which we started in 1983. And, and we're not done with it yet. You know, it's continually changed. I mean, when you think of uh, the operations manuals and now video learning and uh, internet connectivity, uh, the world of training just keeps getting uh, more sophisticated and, and easier to accomplish. Yeah. So as we've gone through our growth, you know, the other thing that kind of took place is, and many businesses do this, you kind of promote from within. And as I got into the 2000s, I kind of came to the realization that maybe I had over promoted some people at the time. So then I started bringing in people from the outside and that kind of changed the business. You know, I brought a new VP of ops in and then I brought a new development person in like in 2008. And then because of their experience with other brands, they said, we need to do ABC, you know, remodel stores, open them up differently. So then we kind of added, you know, significant changes. Now, the one thing about the pizza business, because of the computerization, which we've been a part of it for 25 years, we were able to uh, standardize all of our POS systems in the last five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that's a real interesting part of the pizza business, because when you think of all QSR, Golden Arches, Arby's, you know, anything from friendlies to dining, they're all trying to get customer information and they're all trying to get your text number or your email number. Think about the pizza business. We have your name, we have your address, we have your phone number, we have your email address. We know what you eat and we know when you eat it. So when we first started meeting with data scientists, they were just beside themselves with what we could do with that information. Yeah. So that all that has kind of brought us up to a point where the possibilities are endless. And then if you want to backstep 16 months, what we've gone through with the pandemic, the pizza business truly was somewhat of a shining star of the restaurant industry during the pandemic, because we had already had delivery somewhat perfected and carry out. That's been all part of our plan for decades. So. When I think back a year ago, March, when the, when the first schools were getting shut down and the shelter in place took, we saw our sales nationally dip about 10 to 15%. Mm-hmm. For the first time in 40 plus years, we laid off a few people out of our corporate office and truly most of it was development because we knew we were not going to be opening stores with what was on the horizon. So we kind of let go of most of our development people. And, but within about two weeks, 
our sales shot up because of the position that our business model was to be able to deliver and, and do takeout. Yep. So that said, we finished up double digits in 2020. 2020 was a very good year for us. Yes. Uh, there were some commodity issues that we're dealing with and, and that's continued, you know, into 21, but our sales were up, you know, double digits. And uh, that being the point to where many multi-unit franchisees out there with other brands really had a rough year with yes. a lot. So we feel we're in a position that we're a very attractive model for, for developing you know, yeah. from this point forward, we're currently rebuilding our development department right now. I'm interviewing people and we're getting ready to place one or two to, uh, to put ourselves in the right position. But when you look, you know, with us being, you know, somewhere around the 10th largest chain, the big boys, they're pretty much covered throughout the U S we have a lot of territory available. Yeah. So with that, we're big enough to, people that we know what they're doing, what we're doing, yet the opportunities are out all over the place. So we're pretty excited about what's going to take place over the next year or two. The biggest issue we're dealing with right now is labor, you know, and in the stores. And I'm sure you're hearing that from many franchisors that you talk to. So how we get through that part of the crisis is, is the big question mark. And, um, once, you know, maybe the unemployment supplements start to subside and, uh, you know, people right now, I think have been in a position for the first time in their lives that there's enough jobs available that they think, you know, I've done this for 15 years, I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. So they, they're, you know, leapfrogging to other, other job opportunities. So once that all sorts out and we can position ourselves with a, a reasonable labor force, uh, we think we have some pretty interesting growth ahead of us. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Moreover, on top of all of that, pizza is the number one most eaten food in America. <laughs> so um, so you're in a good position and, and you're right, having already kind of perfected the delivery just brought you right through COVID as, as a start. That was amazing, amazing. Tell me a little bit about the, the uh, flavored crust. What, what is that all about? Back in the early 80s, we had a franchisee at the time, one of our first franchisees that had, you know, heard about putting sesame seeds on the crust or what have you. So I met with them and we talked about it. We only had about 30 stores at the time. And, uh, and we dabbled with the idea and tested it in, in with some of our customers. And it was a, kind of a very interesting, attracted part of the business. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about it, the crust of the pizza really is the handle to eat the pizza. And I think many times you've, you've seen when you're with friends or family, you eat pizza. And when you're all done, the crusts are all sitting in the box because they didn't necessarily eat the crust. At least that's the way it used to be. So with that, we developed these flavors and started doing them in the Detroit market. And in 1985, I've ended up putting them and we had about 60 stores at the time. We decided that was our niche. Every brand needs a niche and that's what we decided we would do. And it's, it's paid great dividends for us. Yeah. Fantastic. I love it. So what in the, in the QSR or the, or the quick service restaurant space, what do you think the future looks like post COVID? 
Well, I think there are a lot of unknowns. You know, it depends if, if you're specifically talking just about pizza. Uh, one important point uh, or time frame that, that we were uh, looking at it very critically was like the month of April. Because I had already said to you previously, March a year ago in 20, we saw sales dip. And then April 1st is when they started taking off. So April 21, we sat back wondering what's going to happen because now restaurants are starting to open. You know, could we get to a point that customers say, I don't want to eat pizza for a year. I've eaten so much of it in the last year. I'm taking a year off. Okay. <laughs> so, but when when April came through, our sales still continued. Mm -hmm. and, and we're still in that that same what we were last April, May, June. So I think some states are starting to open up more. And I think there's unknowns. But uh, for us and in the pizza category, uh, we're not seeing a big dip. And if we can solve this labor problem, we've actually over the last year had to reduce hours at many stores. We're typically open 11 to 11 because of the lack of labor. We've, we've had some stores opening 3 p.m. until 8 p.m. just to handle dinner. We're not uh -huh. even able to open full hours. And that's happening with many QSR brands across America. Right. And uh, I'm not sure what the answer to that problem is. And I don't know if that problem will be solved uh, quickly at this point. Yeah. The, well, the thing is, is that those jobs were all filled, you know, pre pandemic and, and extended um, unemployment benefit stuff. Yeah, a lot of those people moved on to mm -hmm. other jobs and what have you. And, and so there's gotta be a way to fill that space. There's, there's people that want to work and make money. I think once unemployment subsides, as you said, maybe it'll come back a lot stronger. I don't think it's going to be the same market. We might have to pay, you know, pay more which is just going to be passed on to the consumer. I think at the end of the day, um, right. But that that's probably what, what it will come down to is if you're paying everybody, you know, X dollars, whatever it is more than what they used to be paid for the same, you know, unskilled job. It, it's, it's almost like a tax on everybody. If, <laughs> if they start raising minimum wages and stuff, but, um, but there's ways to solve it, I think. And, and we'll, you know, as the franchise community gets together, we'll create it. We'll create a solution. Well, unfortunately, it's all going to end up in the customer's lap. That's what will end up happening. And, you know, the the administration and, and a lot of the, the talk for the last couple of years has been $15 minimum wages in, in many states. And uh, this is kind of maybe a backdoor way of getting the minimum wage up, really. And, you know, we paid a lot of our people 10 to $14 an hour over the years. And now, I mean, what businesses are paying you know, we've had areas where uh, some businesses are paying 17 and all of a sudden our staff just leaving. I'm going to work over here. I'm going to make two, three dollars more an hour. So right. it's it's costing everybody. You know, the yeah. the tax, like you said, is going to uh, end up with the consumer. And uh, we don't know where the end is at this point. Right. Right. Well, I think um, at the end of the day, you know, people have to eat and uh, it's going to happen. So. One way or the other, we are, you know, we have to figure it out. I, we can't solve it on this podcast, but maybe we can right. solve it on another podcast in the future. <laughs> well, I will share this with you. The pizza business has been a very cutthroat value price war 
for decades with yeah. the major guy. When you think about pizzas for $7.99 and what have you, heck, we charged $7.99 in the 70s. Right. When you think back historically. Well, what this pandemic has done, it's really kind of pulled a lot of the value uh, propositions off the table. And the average ticket in the pizza category has gone up significantly because we're just trying to handle the business we can handle. So we're kind of hoping that the price wars don't kick back in over yeah. time and uh, the pizza business can charge what, what they value or what the value really should be. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And living, you know, having been born and raised in New York, you know, which has its own kind of pizza, I think people would agree. Um, you know, I'm a pizza connoisseur in my, in my, in my opinion. But um, yeah, right. Hungry Howes is great. I had mentioned to you before, even my dad living in Florida loved Hungry Howie's, especially the meatballs and stuff. And and he's a hundred percent, he was a hundred percent Italian, uh, born and raised in the Bronx. And so, sure. um, so you guys are doing great things all over the country and, and, and really providing great opportunities for people who want to own and people who want to work. Um, right. And that's what franchising is all about is providing those kind of opportunities. So I appreciate everything you guys are doing at, at Hungry Howie's and, and, um, I look forward to see, seeing the expansion over the next couple of years. It's going to be really fantastic. Uh, I, I feel very optimistic about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, I look forward to talking to you more. We'll, we'll bring you back in and then revisit this and see how things turned out in about a year. Okay. That sounds good. Thanks for thinking of us and uh, good luck Thanks. with everything you do. Thanks. You too. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration. 